questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we bring you a veteran of this program who hasn't been on for quite some time. He was gracious enough to accept my invitation with short notice. How short notice, you ask? Well, tonight's interview was supposed to be with someone else. I read his book, conducted my research as usual, but for personal reasons he could not make it. Hopefully he will reschedule. So I immediately called Dr. Richard Allen Miller and asked him if he could fill in immediately, and he did. So let's see what he has to say. He's always a Pandora's box. Stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Richard Allen Miller is one of the pioneers in the study of the paranormal. His work in mind control is unparalleled. Beginning in the early 1970s with Navy Intel, that work included chip implants, drug studies, telepathy, ketamine, and BZ gas, and synthetic telepathy. Today, with newer definitions of what constitutes the mind, that field has taken a new direction. Dr. Miller is in his element, with his take on Dr. Timothy Leary's eight-circuit model of consciousness, Using his holographic model of the universe now allows for a more comprehensive definition of the mind. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. You already know him. His website is richardallenmiller.com with one L on Allen. And directly from somewhere in the state of Oregon, I would like to introduce our friend, Dr. Richard Allen Miller. Hello, Rick, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. I'm I'm actually good. Thank you for calling me. And it's nice to be back in touch. It was it 2018? I think so. Yeah, it was years before COVID. So let me just disclose something. You know, I've said to you before, to my audience, that sometimes the most stressful things a host can go through, and especially I am very selective of who I choose every week. But every time I have somebody, I read a book or I do a extensive research. You know that for the past almost 15 years. Well, I had someone who I'm not going to explain, but uh, at the end of the day, missing in action. So what, what did I do? I immediately called Dr. Richard Allen Miller and he complied. And he said that he filled in uh, because this interview airs the day after we record it. And here he is. Richard, a lot of things... <laughs> a, a lot of things are happening around the world right now. I don't even know where to begin, but this morning you sent me something from Natural News where basically they're saying we have three months of food production, and after that, who knows what's going to happen. The world will starve. I think that might be a little bit too too negative to exaggerate it, or maybe not. What is your take I, on that? 
I, I concur, but that was a little private thing I have with Dr. Norm Shirley and Leo Cassidy and a couple of other old people from the USA Preparers. Uh, we, I did 10 years of radio uh, every week, and Nor Dr. Norm Shirley became a really good close personal friend, and we did an experiment with some children, and it, it was incredible because uh, it led uh, sixth graders. Uh, uh, over two years, we did a classroom of school children from different schools that would ask questions that they couldn't find answers to in their school system. And I can give you some examples in a minute, but what we, it was amazing to give that child that level of empowerment. And then we did a second book. Uh, what happened later after they were 21 years old and how that ability to go on national news and ask, ask, ask questions, national radio, and how it affected their lives. And um, that, those two books are going to be really interesting because children ask the darndest questions. That's the title of the first one. And it would be a question like, if pigs are so smart, how come parrots can talk and pigs can't? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you know, <laughs> it's an insightful um, insight, boys. Children, in my humble opinion, are possibly our single most important natural resource. And we're squandering it in our educational processes. I'm 78 years old, and even when I was growing up in the Philippines, um, by the way, it, you, by the way, your volume might be too high because you're distorting. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to be so excited. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up in the Philippines, I had Latin in second grade, and I had when I was in high school, they had mechanical drawing and home economics and shop wood shop, all these different skill sets that high schools are no longer offering. And um, leaving no child behind. I think everybody's being left behind because of this. And I, thought, I you know, wanted to do something different in educational processes. And it wasn't exactly like that movie that Tom Hanks did about children. But I feel like we're doing something terrible. Now, in national, jumping to the other question, part of your question, national news is... Uh, and the natural news is a uh, big brand by a bunch of different places. I don't know how to make judgment on Hellringer, uh, but Norm Shealy is an old fan, and so, so was Luke Cassidy, and they were commenting. And when they made comment on this note that he put out, I actually did some studies for the military and the Department of Interior back in the early 70s regarding Carrington-like events in Doomsday 1, 2, and 3. And one of the reasons why I could make an argument that I feel like we're in a Petri dish. Now, you know, be, aside from New World Order, the Democratic Party, and infiltrations and whatever going on, uh, there's something else going on. I feel like I'm David Copperfield with an empty bowl, and I'm hungry, telling the Lord, Lord, I, I'm still hungry for something more than the physical world. And I can prove to you that consciousness isn't real. It is a shared dream. 
and that there are dream states that have more content to reality than even Chew me up. Where was I? <laughs> well, basically, a question, the question, question, comment is: the Earth only has three months' supply of food. If production stops, humanity has nothing to eat in ninety days. Look, I understand. I really appreciate what Mike Adam does, but obviously, sometimes some of his titles are so so dire that if you read his stuff every day, you either are so awake or you become <laughs> depressed. Um, I'm not sure what to say. There's a lot of variables going on here, one of which is the Midwest, just a recent news article today I saw, has lost 35% of its topsoil. Now, I remember when I was lecturing with Acres USA out of uh, Kansas City, flying in an aircraft, and you could see their topsoil in the air. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was, you know, the winds and everything, because of the chemicals and other kinds of things that they were using for agribusiness to be distinguished differently from small farm ag, where you can't afford to, you know, spray everything and nuking it with such things as Roundup. Um, that is one of the things. My take on it has to do with some studies I did with the Department of Interior on Carrington-like events. These are doomsday events where mankind is uh, pushed back to zero again. And that's one of the reasons I said I could make an argument about being in a Petri dish, because it seems like if time is, is not real, what does it mean to say we've been here before, like the Vermont uh, aircraft, uh, that kind of thing, where there's evidence of high technology, and then mankind starts back at zero again, pretty much like human versus GMO, and Cro-Magnon versus Neanderthal. Um, something else is going on here, and I don't understand it. And if I can't understand it, um, that that's, <laughs> I mean, the military deployed me when I was 15 and a half years old. Old man DuPont came because I was, a, I was, I was one of these whiz kids that was doing code for NASA. And I see things that other people don't. But I, when I, I know I don't know. And by the way, just so everybody understands it, physics is not real. It will not get you there. It'll get you close. Like Simon says, you can go halfway to the door. But physics begins all processes with an assumed truth. And then it goes to definitions. And that demonstrates the limitation of our ability to conceptualize. In the food chain, has anybody ever out there been hunted by a grizzly bear? <laughs> I have. And let me tell you, you know, there's elements out there that are way smarter than you are. And it's scared. That's one of the reasons I don't hunt anymore. I was, my dad was a bounty hunter, took out old grizzly bears when when uh, as, a, as a hobby up in Washington. Uh, and uh, the problem was they, they, the farmers have these old bears coming in out of Canada and they'll hunt you. Uh, they, 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 they're too old to hunt. And they're really smart. Their brain case is large. And let me tell you, when we dropped the bear, there were like 28 other attempts on that bear. They're almost indestructible. And you couldn't carry a large enough ordinance. My dad used a 400 Thompson slug 
where he put a 22 long rifle, slug, a, a 22 shell inside the slug so that when it hit the bear, it exploded. And I was, you know, thinking I was a hot shot with my 30 on sex, which is completely underpowered. And I learned a lesson, a really, really valuable lesson at that time. Um, Carrington-like events are when things happen. We always, like Suspicious Observer and others, used to think it was keyed off on the sun. And I did a study for the Department of Interior. Now, this came out of studies of Yugoslavia. At that time, Russia, they had a book out, Ostrander and Schroeder, called Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain. And while we knew about aliens back then, we were way more concerned with what the Russians were doing because that was during the period of the space race. And so they deployed man in that arena where I did a couple of tours at Groom Lake and did some artifacts, but mostly my primary was in paranormal phenomena. That's what I did. I was able to see things people don't say, like, you know, the herb growing in the grass, that kind of thing. And so I um, was asked to do this one on a new direction in our concepts of space and time. And one of them had to deal with space where astrology had become astronomy and will eventually lead us to a new technology called cosmo biology. Now, Yanov was a Yugoslav that had written a book called The Lunar Sex Cycle of the Female. When, the, when a woman is born, uh, an engram is set into her DNA on when she ovulates, with the phase of the moon. And because the moon is so close to the earth, if she moves to a different part of the earth, that engram changes. And now we had a concept of birth control. And so they wanted to extend this to other concepts of going from astronomy to celestial geometry and how it sets up resonant cavity oscillations in the DNA. And that's an old study of mine that I did way back 1976. And now as part of a new field theory that I'm going to write, knock on wood, <laughs> um, with two Russians on the concept of going not from a holographic system dealing with information and how information folds down into itself or out of itself like a fractal, but I'm going to be using a form of knot theory, writing about the multiverse, the space between when a proton is a particle and when it becomes a wave. That is where the multiverse is. And some of my equations are now demonstrating that one of the simplest concepts of it is that when you see your daughter or son, um, that is basically at that moment, you having made a different decision. And that's only one of the basic first things that are coming out of this new math that I'm doing. That's how awful or how distorted the concept of space is and time. We have no idea what we're doing here. So so we went so we went from ninety days until we starve. <laughs> 
to to cosmobiology. Let's let's focus. Let's focus. Okay. So we're discussing this event right now. We see what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, but wheat, a lot of wheat comes from that part of the world. Uh, in the United States, the federal government has paid farmers not to produce. So it's almost like they have this this uh, implosion or, or, or controlled demolition of the United States. But you mentioned one word, Vimanas. Vimanas that existed thousands of years ago in India, flying machines. And people say, you know, how were they able to do that? So I have a question for you. I'm looking at a map from 1450. This map from 1450 has the entire continent of Africa full without a single ounce of desert. Completely. The west of the United States also. So this is before Columbus allegedly came to rediscover this part of the world. So what happened that created, because people think desert, they think of Sahara, they think of parts of Arizona and California and New Mexico. But there's also, I call those infernal deserts. But what about invernal deserts? Snow. We're talking about the North Pole. We're talking about Antarctica. There's a desert there as well full of snow. And they're covering what used to be Hyperborea and parts of the North Pole where the magnetic north or close by is. What do you think happened that created all these places in Africa, uh, thousands and thousands of square miles of desert that used to be populated and civilization used to exist there fully? Those are seasonal changes that are what we call Carrington-like events, uh, near-extinction events where there are global mass land changes because of pole shifts and or something from the sun. And what I've discovered back in 1976 is that using the concept of celestial mechanics, when the planet Uranus is in a specific geometric alignment with the Earth and the sun, there's a major Carrington-like event, probably I-5 is uh, uh, on the West Coast is going to shift into the ocean. Now, everybody's those are, we've been talking about that for a long time and when it's going to happen. And there's a volcano off of Crescent City that uh, is active. And that will be, according to Edgar Casey, others, uh, what will set off this Carrington-like event. And everybody's got different dates. One of the reasons they did the Parker Dive last winter is to determine the beginning of that end and on these seasonal changes where there's this complete, massive, immediate change on global changes on the Earth. It isn't like gradual. It, 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 it's, there's warnings leading up to it, and then it happens. And when it happens, it's catastrophic And uh, for the people living in that area. And things like food become serious. That's why they had the repositories for seed. That's why they do that. That's why, you know, people are talking about survival and, you know, arming up, making sure you have water, blah, 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 uh, survivalists. Um, the geometry is set off by a solar minimum. And be, like the moon it does your phasians once a month. When you want to know what's going to happen astrologically, they've used the moon as a trigger mechanism 
that sets off events for a change in your life. Uh, Saturn return, that kind of thing. But it is a phys- there's a physical analog to all of this, and that had to be with Uranus, which, by the way, in astrology, is the higher octave of Earth. Now, how that all works, I have no clue, but I did a 360 computer and went back in history and vetted, and that event, catastrophic, catastrophic event, has a three sigma error coefficient. That means there's a 99.9975% probability of that event occurring. That's pretty significant. And um, that appears to be based on the variations in solar minimums that sun is what triggers that one off, not the moon. And that one is uh, because the moon, the sun has a regular, almost predictable solar minimum. That's why we have the creepy weather we're having. This is the lead up to what's going to about to happen. And it'll be the quickening or whatever the word you want to use that, that will set this whole thing off. And my calculations back then was uh, between late April, uh, March, early April 2024. Now, whether or not that happened, I have no idea. But I can tell you mathematically, there was a three sigma error coefficient to it. And so for me, that was one of the reasons why Matt and I, Matt Stein, were doing the urban survival skill workshops was because we were trying to get people prepped up and ready for that. Let's look and, about a, a few things here. We'll come to Matt Stein, because I think we definitely need to talk about him and, and preserve his memory. But what about chemtrails? I mean, chemtrails are there. We know that they they take the, the, the humidity humidity from the air. Look at what's happening in California. It's almost as if they're, with the real estate prices and the taxes and the fires, they're trying to push everybody out of California because probably the elite wants that. Same thing with Australia and New Zealand. What about uh, climate change? Too, by the way. Anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that kind of money to make those chemtrails, you figure it's $10,000 an hour. That's right. And you want aircraft deploying that kind of chemistry in the atmosphere. Who's paying for that? Well, the, the question I have, and people say it all the time, I mean, with these mask mandates that uh, were stopped, uh, well, until for now, at least yesterday, people saying, oh, look, you know, people on the planes are clapping, are clapping that the captain said, hey, we just heard the federal government is no longer going to be enforcing the mandate. But I think instead of clapping when your captors let you out of your cage, Shouldn't we fight for our freedoms? And if everybody, everyone who would have said getting on a plane, no, I am not wearing a mask, they would have stopped this a long time ago. But I think the biggest threat to humanity is the amount of order followers we have that are brainwashed by the elites. What's your say? Well, that's take? your educational process we started the show with, isn't it? And that's the whole point I'm trying to make. There's the long view. And I... I'm concerned because our children are going to be the ones that save this earth, not me. And to educate them as they are being educated today, <laughs> there's no hope, <laughs> which, by the way, was the last evil in Pandora's box. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have answers to those things. The chemtrails are not natural. One of my SEAL buddies got interested and tracked. Some of these aircraft, and they on the West Coast, 
they deploy out of uh, British Columbia and they return out of Klamath Falls uh, up here where we are. And uh, he tracked that. And these are the unlisted, unmarked aircraft that are usually uh, United Nations or international uh, efforts by who knows what. Um, I don't have the answers to any of that. I know that they stopped doing chemtrails during COVID, and now that COVID is winding down, I've noticed they're back up again. And I, uh, I don't understand why or what's going on literally. Um, and I have, uh, I still have uh, clearance with military. And if I don't know, I'm not sure what that really means. Tim, the question is: I, Are, I the, are they even? Well, are there even pilots? I had top secret clearance with Walt permits. Even then, uh, they never gave me full disclosure. Even then, I was at high as it gets. And even then, I had a UFO fragment I was looking at. Well, it wasn't UFO. I don't know what it was. But it was a, or a piece of material uh, that was supposedly advanced technology. I looked at it at the University of Chicago in their vaults, and what I did is I fired a 50 caliber cannon at it, and then went down with an electron microscope to see the lattice damage, and it was 100 times stronger than diamond, and led to a concept that we now call electrophoresis, which is memory. And um, we have that now, and it's called the full range, but you know, when carbon bonds to itself, but C60, C120. But that was not known at the time I was working with Buckminster Fuller. We, we didn't even know that. That's another book I'm writing called The Marshall Papers on Bob Marshall, the idiot savant that was working with Buckminster Fuller that led to the concept of the buckyball. Now, all of those things, um, it's, it's interesting how they're, you know, with someone as old as I am now starting to see things turn, um, that's why Castaneda, <laughs> go back to, uh, yeah, uh, said there were four enemies of man. There was fear. When you overcame fear, you had personal power, and power corrupts. And then, if you got wiser, you had clarity. That was the third enemy. And the fourth enemy is the one I currently enjoy. Old age. <laughs> I don't do anything about it. I don't know what's going on. I can tell you that um, when a child sees a plant, tomato plant, growing in February or March, producing tomatoes, that child is never going to have a fear of food again. And uh, I did a series of workshops with um, famous uh, Michael Moore. Uh, brought me in, a famous photographer, and he, he had me teach Chattanooga how to produce their own food. And it took me four months of workshops, and today Chattanooga produces 40% of the food they consume, whereas a city like Seattle or L.A. produces less than 3% in a so-called just-in-time delivery system where you get your tomato plants from Mars. <laughs> I don't know where they come from. Avocados is certainly not from Hawaii. And I, I, um, I can tell you, 
that Chattanooga, what they did, Chattanooga took their downtown center where all the businesses were, stripped it out and made it a farmer's market with a stock exchange that uh, on, on surplus items each day for cottage industry. And you can look from there down to Atlanta and realize, you know, that Atlanta is in a world of hurt, whereas every single restaurant on the Chattanooga River right now has a greenhouse next to the restaurant. And that concept is going to be how we survive. We need to have a decentralization of, of everything. Yep. What you just said, Rick, decentralization, that is key because with the people we have in power, I don't know if they're actually people. I'm starting to venture and wonder if they're not even people. But when, for example, today we just heard the news in Arizona. We've been told to prepare because the federal government will will reduce the amount of water we're going to be getting. So you get, you know, the, the pandemic, then you get the possible war. Now you get the possibility of not having water and maybe just having water every few days. I know there are people in certain islands of the Caribbean that go through that every single day, so they're used to it. But um, you mentioned education. I don't call it education. This is indoctrination. There, you know, I, I spent the latter decades of my life deprogramming myself from all the indoctrination, and now it feels lonely because most people don't get it. Well, there will shortly because if you get it and I get it, everyone will get it because you and I are the same person, according to my field equations. And what made us God's favored was choice. That's why I call the brain as a cavitation process with science and religion on either side, right and left brain. And neither hold the answers. How many choices did you make just today and doing this over that and that is the multiverse. That is what I'm writing my field equations about right now. That place of all the different diversity available in in man. And that's why we were supposedly in, biblically called God's favorite because of our ability to have choice. And anything that you can imagine is real or true is absolutely not only true, it's even more than that. And so what you envision as God is what you personally are capable of achieving in this lifetime if you're using your full potential, and that is less than even halfway to God. There is a thing called food chain where I've watched orca chase dolphins for food. And both of those cetaceans have larger brain cases of the man Orca is firing 60% of its cerebral cortex and has access to nine-tenths of the biosphere. Who's superior? And then I would say to you, how many ants are on your property? And who's terraforming it more? Man thinks that it's superior because it has a thumb and fire. And yet, <laughs> we're just part of a, a resonant cavity oscillation system like your gut. You know, uh, mycorrhizae in the soil, uh, your neurotransmitters in your brain. That's the field equation I'm writing now. 
how that all relates to dialogue with entities and residents. So look at the, I'm glad what you're saying about the citations and and the ants, and I can also think of the western honeybee or the early bumblebee. They live between 28 days and 60 days. And look at them. Without them, we can't survive on this planet. What they do in those 28 days in comparison to what we do in a lifetime. And there's actually the antmen of Mexico. There was, uh, that was an experiment, uh, probably another Petri dish, uh, where there was hive consciousness. And the Nephilim, the larger versions of men, I did a uh, BBC interview uh, going down the Colorado River where there's an artifact, you know, uh, Cleopatra went down the Colorado looking for copper. And there's caves down there that have uh, demonstrations of technologies that man doesn't have. Where do they come from? I have a picture of a, of a archaeologist in, in Pennsylvania that uh, found a giant skull in, in 1812. And we're talking about, you know, giant, big skull. And um, that was sent to the, uh, where was it, that up at Carnegie, uh, up in... Um, Smithsonian, you mean? I'm sorry, sir? Smithsonian, perhaps? Yeah, there was a... Well, they were trying to figure out what happened to the skull at uh, at, at this museum that it was stuck in, and it was I, I did a study on that and found that there was a religious leader, um, Methodist minister, that his flock was taken over at that time of that discovery um, by Joseph Smith that formed the the Mormons, and he dogged himself. And it was his two sons that ran that museum. And I'm trying to think. And so I think what they did is they dumped that skull in, in, in the Atlantic somewhere uh, to vet their father in getting his ministry back. Space people. I don't know how that, uh, how that all goes, but it's interesting to note how history is a little different. I've been to Antarctica. I did that on a tour, one of my tours. Um, and I was the physicist in charge of, like, trying to figure out how the whole thing worked, being, you know, in a cavern that was more than a mile high. There's the Nazi base there, the 19 slips were submarines. They were destroyed. It looks like a nuclear weapon took that out. Further down was a Viking base from 14th century, and that's not even in our history books. And even further down was a hall at the time I was there in, in the early 70s, went 100 miles straight down into the metal. And uh, the technology that we have, we had no way to go 100 miles straight down. We didn't have helicopters that could do anything like that. And anyway, as far as I knew, that far down, there would be steel of stone rock would have been molten lava or, or uh, plastic. Is that yeah. proof, Rick? Is that proof that if the Vikings Vikings were there? And obviously, they probably didn't have an icebreaker, a nuclear icebreaker, as we would have. That that part of the world was not under ice at the time. Yeah, uh, we deployed in from a, a full island and and went in with a sub under underwater to get into it. But the place was the light. Now, what I discovered—that's why I discovered bioluminescence. It's another one of my discoveries was that 
there was a bacteria on the wall that was eating the lichen. And um, and that was creating ice. And that's how it was. And over a mile high with weather underground. I can go right now in the United States. I can go all the way from Florida all the way up into Maine without ever coming up above above uh, above ground. Are you talking about yeah. the underground highway that we have here in the United States? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're natural and or created. Uh, when I went, when Dennis Kucinich was running for president, uh, a friend of mine had me out for radio doing a three-hour interview with Dennis, and he, he had me visit eight of his bunkers. He called himself at that time the president of the, of the Midwest. <laughs> but I went to Wichita, and uh, out came our little brother and his daughter and his granddaughter. They sang a little Americana. It was very cool. Uh, I like, I'm old, and so I'm more value. You know, I like the older value things that we used to have. Yeah. For me, I think the U.S. Postal Service is the only thing our government ever got right, and now they're trying to privatize it. That is the front lines like Cambodia, where I train SEALs. I can tell you that uh, I wouldn't, the Postal Service in the United States is exceptional, and they're always smiling no matter what. And yet when Canada went on strike, up in Toronto, they were sabotaging people's uh, mail to, to get their point across in Canada. And I know for a fact that U.S. Postal Service would never have done anything like that. You know, they're just really there all the time. The Pony Express was only for, what, six months? I think it was. And yet it set historically the concept of the importance of communication. And so, so tell me what you saw. What, what, what did you see? Underground? Are you saying that you took that highway? Is it with it with a maglev train or a, or a regular car? How do you do it? I'm an anthropologist that was in charge of that project, and I was hired as the uh, from MRU. I was hired as the physicist to discover how the light part of everything works, and that was my that was my goal. And I worked on the bacteria that was on the wall. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there's underground earth everywhere and on the west coast out here where i am in grants pass the so-called free state of jefferson the old uh, norad system and the applegate it's now the tom system the west coast and uh, they're extensive and when i say that i mean they're way more than goonies it's like uh that movie goonies it's uh there's everything interconnected and what hasn't been interconnected is now with new technologies. Up in Seattle, they, 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 uh, I remember the old, old, I grew up in Seattle and, you know, the, the Seattle used to be in a different, slightly different location, uh, in 1902. And then they had the, the, uh, earthquake there and everything got buried. Uh, we used to, when I was a kid, we'd go down through the manhole covers in what is now called, uh, um, oh, Pioneer Square and that whole area down there. That's where Seattle originally was. And, uh, there's, I find old furniture from 1870s. It's really cool. Now they do tours and things like that. But back early on, you know, they were just, they just pushed over with cement and covered it and rebuilt. 
you know. So th- those those places that you saw underground, and by the way, let me just go back to, before I forget, Antarctica, Antarctica. What did you see? Did you say that you saw Viking remnants there? Yeah, there was a Viking base from the 14th century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, the Vikings were there. Yeah. No question. So what is I beyond, what is beyond Antarctica? What's that? What is beyond Antarctica? Oh, via sub. A submarine. We went. We started from Thule Island. That's where you deployed in with a submarine. They fly us in to Thule, and then we went in with a sub. Because the entrance that we went in was underground, underwater. Underwater. Yeah, at that time, yeah. Do you that remember was- a few years ago, many heads of state, the the equivalent of the Pope, the the Eastern Orthodox or Russian Orthodox Church, went down there. Uh, who else was there? Buzz Aldrin, John Kerry, a lot of dignitaries were going down to Antarctica. What was the reason for that? those visits? Do you know? They found, okay, I got a bunch of the astronauts, I've trained them, and so they're personal friends of mine even today. I was at Mission Control with Ed Mitchell in 71 doing the ESP study. Um, some of the astronauts that went down there told me they have technology, to get down that hole that I had seen. And when they went down, they found something. And what happened was it woke up. And that's what I was told by Armstrong and others. And I can tell you that it probably was Nephilim in stasis. And I don't understand what that all means. Because I wasn't there, and I you're you're, you're destroying you're destroying again. Try to remove yourself from your camera. What's that? Oh, Try yeah, to remove sorry. yourself from the camera a little bit. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what's going on with Antarctica. I do know that there are caves down there that are massive, and that there are remnants or artifacts from previous history down there. You mentioned Nephilim in stasis. I've heard that before. That that is conjecture. When I taught at Shiprock, I'm also belong to Indian tribes, and I taught at Shiprock in Mexico. Uh, They have legends there of cannibals, uh, large uh, humanoids that were cannibals eating Indians. And uh, there, there is where there's smoke, there's always a fire. I've so, seen pictures. That, yeah. I, I've seen video footage. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but they look like giants, and they look to not be dead. And I've been told that they might be what we think of the Nephilim in stasis. So if in actuality we found some Nephilim in stasis in that part of the world, did the yeah. United States or whoever, I mean, you know how many signatories are on the Antarctic Treaty. And there's, let's, let's stop here for a moment. In the 19, the, the year that NASA started, I believe it was 1959, that's when the Antarctic Treaty started. A few countries signed. Now we have over 100 countries that don't allow anyone to go beyond that part. And what uh, Admiral Byrd allegedly said, well, actually, he actually said it, that in his expedition, he found resources that could power the world for millions of years. He found tropical places. So the question is, 
why are we not allowed to go there? And it's not that I want to commercialize it, but everything that has been discovered, the plane, uh, you know, the, the car, everything is commercialized. We haven't gone back to the moon. We should have a camera up there looking at, at Earth. And by the way, we went there six times, 12 people walked for, you know, two days each. And they took a lot of pictures, but not even one picture of Earth from up there, from their cameras. Why? I, uh, I'm not, I, I can't answer that. I can tell you this. There's more, for a smaller planet, there's more water volumetrically on Mars than there is Earth. But why so much interest in going to Mars and not going back to the moon 50 years later? Wouldn't that be a great stop before going to Mars? I, I, you know, what I can tell you is I went to Mars. I did a Mars project for the government. It will be uh, in a book series I call The Diamond Body, Electromagic, and Yogatronics. And the work I did in 74, 79, and the last work I did in 1983, creating my own wormhole using sacred geometry. You can't travel in space physically. It's not possible. There's, we have no way to protect ourselves from gamma rays and neutrinos. There isn't anything that will stop those. The, the reason, when I was at Mission Control, and the reason they do a precision in their countdown, five, four, is that just before liftoff, they have to punch a hole in the ionosphere. They have to, in other words, get an astronaut through that. There's no way he could get through there otherwise. And that, that was why they have the precision in the countdown. Now we have HARP, but uh, back then, you know, it was an iffy kind of situation. And even doing around the moon, Edward Mitchell is never going to have children again. And uh, there, to go to Mars, nothing would survive. Wait, wait, wait. Edgar Mitchell had children. Well, I, you know, was that before or after his, his moon experience? Because, you know, when you get out into outer space, past the protective cover of the Van, the Van Allen Belt, belt right? You're, you're talking about uh, serious changes in the body because of, of the radiation you're exposed to. And not only does the Earth have a bubble around it, so does the sun, the heliosphere. And so does our small you know, universe up past the Earth cloud. And I can tell you that uh, there's more going on here. And we simply do not yet have concept of what we are doing and why we're here. So the question is, Rick, you know, I don't mean to give my opinion. I just think that that piece of junk that went to, that were presented to us during the Apollo mission, I don't believe for a second, you know, as you said, to go through the Van Allen belt and come back and all those pictures. I mean, when you and I used to travel in the 70s and 80s with the yeah. X-ray machines in airports, they would tell us, you know, don't put your camera through. But all these NASA people, the astronauts, went there with Hasselblad cameras and brought all those pictures and were never affected, and they were not covered in gold. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot of things I did that were not allowed out. And work I did myself was taken away from me, like the embryonic holography paper I wrote. After I did the holographic concept of reality, I, you know, the reason I'm not in Talbot's book was because it, all my work was classified. Bohm and Persinger, others, 
that they didn't do that work more than 10 years later when it was Burt Webb and, and uh, Darden Dixon and myself. Uh, the holographic concept, how I came across that, by the way, was when old man DuPont had me working at the experimental research station in Wilmington. I was walking down the hall and one of these doors were open and I looked in and there was a three dimensional color TV. I saw it in 1967. Where is that in our marketplace? And that was how I met DeBoer, who got the Nobel Prize for that. And he got that in 1972. And then by the time I wrote my embryonic holography in 73, <laughs> it was classified top secret until 92, 1992. How many well, years, you know, Rick, how many years in advance is, can I say black projects or projects you were involved in? Is it 50 or is it more? Well, it's about 48 years or so, yeah. About 48. Yeah. 48 years. So, and if yeah. we had, if we have the, the B-2 bomber, and what can you tell me about the Aurora, the TR-3B? I don't know much about that. What, you, what, what are we talking about again? Uh, the TR-3B, the black triangle that many people, and I've seen many, many videos where people saying, look, a UFO. But there are information, two oh, or three of them. Here, and, well, my response to that is, um, if anything, well, that's chapter eight in my non-local mind book, the mind's eye where imagination is reality. Anything you can imagine is possible. You can count on it. That's Merlin in the book T.H. White wrote, and she said, Merlin said to Arthur, anything not specifically forbidden is mandatory. If you can, if you, if it's possible, you can count on it. If it's possible, you can count on it. Now, that's a good one to think about. Realizing all of these different events and what you think is happening, you're creating your own reality. And that's one of the reasons why all your saints in history have stressed the importance of training the mind, meditation. You know, take control of it and use it as a tool, not a, you know, an arbitrary anywhere it wants to go. You, you train it. And that's what magic what I'm writing about now in my magic series is as an advanced form of physics where you use your mind as a, as a tool. You see, uh, in 1974, I moved the manager foundation from Topeka using biofeedback to the University of Washington using video feedback. I had a, I had a, uh, what is it? Bukla and, uh, I, I, I was using audio and video feedback systems, and that's when I discovered cymatics, which is the diamond body. The second part, well, you, uh, electromagic, is when I used a Mora and Indomet German acupuncture equipment and was able to bypass drugs and create my own hallucinations. Any drugs experience you have, that's a neurotransmitter. It's not the drug. The drug, like mushrooms, have chemistry that's very similar to, but not precisely accurate uh, to the neurotransmitter. And when your immune system sees that these invading lookalike chemistries, it goes into freak. That's how lysergic acid diethylamide 
it's broken down all day into the body and into the urine in less than 20 minutes. And the next 20 hours of hallucinations is from your own release of neurotransmitters. And those neurotransmitters, the brain, is like a second gut, a dialoguing with the multiverse. And that is electromagic. Yogatronics is now using, that's the third book I'm writing, is using that basic uh, uh, hallucination as a tool to dialogue with alternate universes of possibility. You know, they're ascribing in medicine mushrooms now, psilocybin, because of the psilocin, normal biocystin, and other chemistries in it to release uh, for, oh, I don't know, uh, placebo, depression, things like that. And it isn't the mushroom that's doing that. It's your own brain's chemistry in response. And that response is an alternate universe where you can do things you can't do in this universe. I watched a woman rip a cardboard off. She took it off to save her daughter in a flaming automobile. And that's impossible because there's no way adrenaline makes the body's muscle and bone stronger than steel. So how does she do that? And that's the next step in man's evolution is to have access to these alternate universes, or what we call the multiverse, where you use them as a tool. And magic then, as I understand it, sleight of mind, not sleight of hand. You mentioned, Rick, you mentioned cymatics. Let's stay there for a moment. That is something that fascinates me because we see cymatics in crop circles. We see cymatics in in the, the ancient uh, cathedrals around the world. Uh, you know, all that, those circles that we see, those are cymatics. It's, yeah, it's basically... It's response to geometry. It's visual. It's a, how can I say? It's visual music. Basically, when you put, say, salt or, or dust and you, you hit it with certain f sound frequencies, you see these beautiful patterns that show up, and that comes from sound. And also, you mentioned Vimanas. Let me go back to that for a moment. I am more than convinced now, Rick, they're just removing mud from certain places around the world and seeing beautiful patterns, beautiful architecture under our soil, maybe a few meters underground. Do you believe in the resets that happened in the past and it's not that we are learning we are learning because we forgot and we had resets in the past well my my, my humorous response to that would be i wouldn't have seen it if i hadn't believed it <laughs> you know that's what it's all about that's why consciousness isn't real it's a shared dream that's my mentor, Dr. Stanley Krippner, who's working at Maimonides and Dream Telepathy. Um, I, you know, there's, there's things going on. We don't, have any, we don't even have a clue what's going on. We think we're superior. and uh, But when you get hunted by a grizzly bear, trust me, you know that there's something superior out there. I mean, I, it scared the, the Jesus out of me. I was, have you ever been hunted by a grizzly bear? It's scary. Nope. They're really smart. Thankfully not, but ask you again, do you believe that in the past we've had resets? And when I say reset, you know what I mean. I'm not talking about Klaus Schwab. I'm not talking about Klaus Schwab great reset. I'm talking about a reset where 
most of the population was either annihilated or relocated somewhere else or reintroduced to the new world or the old world rather had to start over from scratch exactly flint yeah there is something else out there going on and it's time for us to wake up and jump out of a petri dish kind of like covid virus did because uh you know i i i don't carol rosen is a really good friend of mine and she talks about her work with von von braun and 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 the breakaway i i can tell you that there is something else going on and i don't know what it is uh but i can sense it and i um what do you mean specifically? What do you mean there's something else going on? I think we're being controlled by something beyond that. We were, you know, if you dumb them down, maybe we'll mine more coal for their Dyson right. sphere. I don't know. I you know, as a metaphor. Uh, I, I, I can tell you something else is going down because why would we want to dumb down our children? Because they're waking up? Because they're well, they're, they're being indoctrinated, but they're waking up. They're not sleep is what they're doing. They're not, <laughs> the children are already awake. You're, when you're born, you're already yeah. good to go. Right. And what's happened is you get stuck in Hades, Persephone, or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have the answers to that. I sense there's something more going on, and I want something beyond the physical. I'm hungry. When it comes when when it comes to what you learned, how many years did you spend with the government? Oh, I'm still, I'm just eighteen. What does that mean? <laughs> they can't pay me anymore. Back to old. There's there's government rules at age seventy two and I'm seventy eight. But I've been I've been working with. Well, I started with old man Dupont when I was fifteen and a half. So I guess I Dupont been, <laughs> recruited for a long period of time, and it doesn't work. It's it's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. It's my curiosity and access, toys, things of that like that. Because I was an instrumentation specialist, I have access to. Did you say Dupont? Yeah, old man Dupont came to visit my mom and if, when I was twenty years old. So, what do you say about Dupont and the advent of plastics? The advent of of uh, not fertilizers but uh, pesticides. And the increase of so much disease. Yeah. Um, you see, that's another concept people need to get clear. Uh, Roundup itself, it's a glyphosate, is not yeah. a toxin per se. What happens is when you put it in the genetics of something like corn so that nothing else can grow, now that's different than spraying it on a field that you're trying to put a root crop in that needs more time than the grasses will allow it. When you spray a field with Roundup, that chemistry is gone within 10 days. The only reason it wasn't certified organic was that a predator might come down and eat a rodent that died from it. And that was why it was not organic, but it's gone within 10 days, breaks down to inorganic salts. However, when you take that chemistry and you put it in the gene of the food you're trying to grow, like corn, now that field will never be able to grow anything but corn. And one of the reasons why 
the topsoil in the Midwest, for example, is starting to be depleted. And that's different, and that's the same thing now that they're doing with humans. Instead of your immune system breaking it down, now they put it in your genetics, and that's why they call uh, people that got the jab uh, GMO, because they're not human anymore, and there, there's something else going on here. And uh, while, it, it, you know, stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, um, it's like when Gecko in the movie Wall Street said, greed is good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that was wonderful. <laughs> I love it. But if there's something else going on, and I think we're being played and held back with intent by something else. And I don't know what it is, and I, I can sense it. And I want something more. And I don't know quite what to do. I meditate. I've been training my mind with meditation. I'm a satsangian and initiated by Sharon Singh. And I, you know, I, I can sense there's something else going on out there. You know, one of our friends from the show sent me the cover of Time Magazine from 19, sometime in 1999. And it's a special issue. And it has a snake surrounding our spinal cord and our DNA. And the title is The Future of Medicine, How Genetic Engineering Will Change Us in the Next Century. It's almost as if they've been telling us all along. Yeah. So I don't have the answers on those. I can be your nerd and talk about local physics, but even that won't work for all of us at some point. And and that's why I call Chapter 7 Time Travel and the true nature of cavitation. Cavitation processes are pretty much the way we see and respond to everything in our universe. We see the, 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 the two brains, we see the sun and its reflection, Nibiru, or whatever you want to call that, Planet X. Uh, we see our galaxy with a white, the other end is a black hole, a white hole, and uh, these concepts. Yep, microphone. Rick, the microphone again. If you could just remove yourself from it a little bit. What was? Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes, you're right. I, I'm like a little child, and I, I get closer and closer to the screen as I bob the front. I apologize. Thank you. Check, uh, can sure. I have another? <laughs> uh, I'm like a little kid still. By the way, did did you say you went to Mars? Yes, I did. Then don't tell me. I want to. I want to hear your story on part two because we have to break. Rick, I know that you rely a lot on the sales of your books. How can people learn more about your work, your books, and and all your material? Uh, my website is uh, richardallenmiller.com. A L A N. Thank you for that shameless self promotion. I need. Uh, that's my only source of income now is my books, and I'm writing my brains out right now. I have. 11, uh, 15 audiobooks just on the work I did in metaphysics at Harvard at other universities. I taught uh, metaphysics for 11 years at, uh, when PC Link was changing to become AOL and uh, America Online. Hume, Mark Hume hired me to teach metaphysics and I used the well of San Francisco and the IES, Interactive Educational System out of Humboldt and did the first online courses on uh, metaphysics on that and uh, 
that's a long time ago. That was like 92, 91. So anyway, that's, thank you. Okay, we'll come back and we'll discuss your visit to Mars. Wow, you mentioned PC Link. I remember AOL, Prodigy, CompuServe. A lot of our youngsters who listen to us probably wonder, what is that? Wasn't that from Caveman Times? But I remember that vividly. And I remember the bulletin boards that I used to visit every night, leaving the connection on so I could download all the conspiracies and all the stuff. And, you know, one image would take me an hour or two to just download one image. But when we come back, we have Dr. Richard Allen Miller, who has been gracious to come with very short notice to be with us today. One more hour to come. This is Mel Hasselrick, and you are listening to Veritas. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas, because you don't want to believe. You want to know.